0: Let me once more say how good it is to see all of you here this morning. I really appreciate each and every one of you being here this morning. I also want to say that i have noticing the additional bow ties this morning, and I like it, and I appreciate it. Uh, thank you very much for that little token this morning. It means a lot to me. Uh, today we're going to talk about stories. And before we talk about stories, let's pray to our God. Father, we thank you for this day and Father, we thank you for your story that, that we experience through your word. and Father, that we experience through your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, that we experience through each other. Father, we thank you for inviting us into your story. Father, we thank you for providing the way into your story through Jesus Christ. And Father, we just pray that we will be people who continue to look more and more like Jesus. And so our story will resemble his story more and more. As time goes on, so that other people will see Jesus in us, that they will come to know him as we know him. And Father, we pray this through his name, Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. So today and for the next several weeks, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about stories. We're going to talk about God's story and how his story and our stories are linked. We're going to talk about how they're intertwined We're going to talk about how his story and our stories are joined together to form one story. Human life is told through story. It's not told through facts and figures. It's not told through data points and charts and graphs. It's told through story. Human life is told through narrative. And those of us here in the room this morning together represent hundreds of different stories... If we had time to explore all of our different stories, we'd be really amazed at how similar many of our stories are, but we'd probably also be amazed at how dramatically different many of our narratives actually are. We also recognize that our stories don't exist in a vacuum. Our stories didn't begin with us. We were all born into various stories, stories that began long ago. Stories that were begun by our family, stories that were begun by our country, stories that were begun by our communities, and dozens of other groups whose stories we joined simply by being born into those stories. And as have, we have each lived our lives, we have chosen and we continue to choose either to enlist in those stories that we were born into by joining and continuing those stories and by making them our own stories. Or we've chosen to reject those stories that we were born into and live different stories. I'll give you an example. I was born into a family whose modern story begins in Europe and then continues in various parts of North America. The Harvey family to Minnesota, the Lane and Young families to the Deep South and then to Texas, and the Cone family to Arkansas. And then in the late 1800s, all of those stories, all of those narratives converged in southeastern New Mexico. And in southeastern New Mexico, Grace Harvey met and married John Lane. They had four children, including my dad, Wesley Lane. And Mary Cohn met and married John Joe Young, and they had nine children, including my mom, Wilma Young, and that family narrative continued in Lake Arthur, New Mexico, where my schoolteacher mom met and married the local boy, Wesley. And then they settled in Cloudcroft, New Mexico, and had three sons, the middle of which is me. I was born 55 years ago. Today, it's my birthday. So I was born into a story that included various narratives that were started by and continued by my family There were narratives about morals and ethics. There were narratives about work and education and many other narratives that I have chosen either to embrace or that I have chosen to reject and not make part of my story, make part of my narrative. And what is true for me is also true for all of us. Of course, our stories are very different. We were all born into hundreds of different narratives that are different in many ways But all of us have either embraced those stories that we were born into or we have rejected them. And we also understand that those personal narratives are powerful influences on our lives. And they are in many ways responsible for who we are and how we live our lives. But there's a bigger narrative, bigger than our personal narratives. There's an overarching narrative, if you will. The fancy term for that is there's a meta-narrative in life. We all live our personal narratives under the umbrella of this larger narrative. And we all fit our individual stories within a larger story. We fit our individual stories within a meta-narrative. And this overarching narrative has to do with the meaning and purpose of life. It has to do with whether our lives have any significance at all beyond our time here on earth. And we all have a choice and a decision to make here as well. And the choice for each of us is between two starkly different meta narratives, two starkly different overarching narratives. We have to choose between two different narratives in which we will fit our individual stories. One choice that we can make is to believe that the big story, the meta story, really isn't all that big. We can believe that the meta narrative isn't all that meta, if you will. We can choose to adopt the narrative that our lives really have very little significant beyond our lives. Sure, we might have some positive impact and some positive influence on other limited lives, but ultimately, if you adopt this narrative. The big story is that human life is really the same story. It's really kind of a cold story, a story that's told over and over, and that story is this. You're born, you live, and you die, and that's the end of the story. It's a story that, in its bleakest form, was famously described by Shakespeare through the mouth of his character Macbeth. I am not a Shakespearean actor, so bear with me as I read this. Macbeth said, Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in this petty pace from day to day to the last syllable of recorded time. And all our yesterdays have lighted fools the way to dusty death. Out, out, brief candle. Life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage, and then is heard no more. It's a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. Signifying nothing. That's an increasingly popular narrative. A narrative that views human life, regardless of any human effort, regards human life as moving forward only to the grave. And that story is told over and over and over again. And it's a narrative that views all other narratives as idiotic attempts to give significance to lives that ultimately don't have any significance. But there is a competing narrative to that narrative. And it's the narrative that I've chosen. And to be honest, I chose it first because it was my family's narrative. But I choose it now because I believe it's the true narrative. I'm convinced It's the true narrative. And that narrative says that the big story, the meta-narrative, the overarching story under which all of our individual stories are lived and find meaning is God's story. It's the story of a purposeful and loving creator who brought his image-bearers, men and women, into a good creation for them to enjoy that creation. And it's a narrative that says that although mankind has introduced plenty of sound and fury through their rebellion and through their sin. It's a story that says God has been working and is even now working to bring his story back to its beginning. It says that God is working to move his story forward to a new heaven and a new earth where the world will once more be as beautiful as he intended it always to be a story that says God is reclaiming and will reclaim everything that he has created and it once more will be his. And it's a story that says our lives and our stories have significance when they are a part of his story. When they're a part of God's story. And it's a story in which he has graciously invited us to enlist, to be a part of And then play our small part in his story. Not by strutting and fretting an hour upon the stage. But by using our lives to move his forward in some positive way. And God has invited us to enlist in his story and to play our part in his story through the climax of his story. And the climax of God's story is Jesus Christ. And when we introduce Jesus Christ into the discussion, that leaves us with another choice. See, we can either reject Jesus as the climax of God's story, and we can dismiss any claim that Jesus might have on our lives and on our stories, or instead we can accept Jesus as the climax of God's story, and we can choose to live in Jesus and actually make Jesus our story. You see, if we accept God's story, we also accept that the climax to his story has already occurred. It's already happened. We accept that the climax to the God's story was written decisively, and it was written victoriously through the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because it was then that Jesus defeated the powers of evil. And it was then that Jesus initiated the work of God's new creation, And it was then that Jesus placed a claim on our lives. And it's that claim that we either have to claim ourselves, embrace, and be a part of, or it's a claim that we have to reject. And I want you to know that's a decision that shouldn't ever be taken lightly. Because when we choose God's story through Jesus Christ, we must reject all other stories as having any claim on our lives, on our stories and that's why it's so important that we know God's story. I want to stress that choosing to make Jesus' story our story is really serious business. Choosing to wear the name of Christ is serious business. It's something that's meant to be literally life-changing because when we choose Jesus, it means that we are rewriting our story into His story. And I'm afraid that oftentimes we don't stress the seriousness of this enough. I often hear people with the very best of intentions, hear that clearly, with the very best of intentions, use language that has our relationship with Jesus and our relationship to His story completely backwards turned completely upside down. It's common to hear talk about the importance of inviting Jesus into our hearts and about the importance of inviting Jesus into our lives. And I know that that's meant well, and I know that's a nice sentiment, but that isn't what God's story is all about. You see, Jesus isn't looking to be invited into our stories. Instead, he's inviting us to enlist in his story. He isn't inviting us to make him a part of our story. Instead, he's inviting us to make his story our story, to make his heart our heart. He isn't inviting us to give him a role in our life stories. He's inviting us to play a role in his story as it was always meant to be. So we need to understand that Jesus isn't looking for a space in our limited lives. Instead, he's offering us a full share of his abundant life. Jesus isn't asking us to somehow fit him in somewhere in our already crowded lives. Instead, he's inviting us to make him our life. He's inviting us to live in him so he can live in us and redefine us and reorder our lives. This is serious business. In fact, it's as serious as a funeral. You might want to turn to Romans chapter 6. We're going to spend a little bit of time there this morning. And in Romans chapter 6, we get to read the Apostle Paul's response to people who needed to be reminded just how serious their commitment to Jesus really was. How serious their commitment to Jesus was supposed to be. And Paul does something interesting. To call them back to where they were supposed to be. To call them back to who they were supposed to be. Paul reminds them of a funeral that they had attended. But the interesting thing is the funeral that he reminds them of is their own funeral. Paul reminds them that a death occurred when they were baptized. And it was their own death. Let's listen to what Paul had to say. Romans chapter 6, I'll begin reading with verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. but alive to God in Christ Jesus. In this passage, Paul leads these early Christians right back to their baptism. And he leads them there to remind them. He leads them there to remind us that when we were baptized, we enlisted in God's story. We signed on. We literally went all in and placed ourselves and placed our stories within God's story by joining in the climax of that story. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But even more remarkably, as we were buried under the water and then raised again, God enrolled us in his story. He welcomed us into his story as participants in the climax to his story the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So when we read Romans chapter 6, we should read it as a wake-up call. We should hear Paul fairly shouting to the Christians in Rome, don't you remember what you did? You were baptized. Don't you remember who you are? You are the baptized You're the people who are dead to sin. You are the people who were buried with Jesus. You are the people who crucified your old selves. And you are the people who were united with Jesus in his death. You are the people who made Jesus' story your story. Paul shouts out, you are the baptized. Don't you remember what God did for you? You were born into a new life in Jesus. You were freed from sin. You were united with Jesus in his resurrection. You are the people welcomed by God into his story. When we were baptized, we confessed that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection were the beautiful climax to God's story. We confessed it first in words. But more powerfully, we confessed Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection by actually participating in it. As we were buried with him in the water, and then as we were raised with him out of the water, we proclaimed God's story. We proclaimed Jesus' story as our own story. But we didn't just complain, proclaim the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus when we were baptized. We also boldly confessed Jesus' death as our own death. Just as Jesus died, we died. Just as he was raised, we were raised. We were united with Jesus in his death, and we were united with Jesus in his resurrection. When we were baptized, we proclaimed that Jesus' story is our story. We proclaimed that Jesus' story is is our story we were baptized you know there's a centuries-old debate about whether or not baptism is a symbolic act and it's certainly a symbolic act in the sense that it stands for something else contrary to some rumors that might be out there when we go under the water they don't hold us under the water until we literally die that's not what happens Although some preachers sometimes push the limits on that, I understand. That's not what happens. We aren't left there to die just to bring our lifeless bodies out of the water so that somehow we'd be reanimated as brand new creatures with no connection at all to the person who went into the water. We understand that it's it's symbolic in that sense. Our baptism is a symbol of our enlistment in God's story. It's a symbol of God enrolling us in his story. Baptism is a symbol, but it's no mere symbol. In fact, it's a symbol in the same sense that wedding vows and wedding rings are symbols, but not mere symbols. Almost 34 years ago, I repeated a series of vows to Kathy, and Kathy repeated a series of vows to me and She placed a ring on my finger, and I placed a ring on her finger. And those were symbols of our commitment to each other, but they weren't mere symbols. Those vows and those rings signified change. They meant I wasn't going to be the same person I was before, they meant I wasn't going to live the same life that I lived before. When I accepted the ring, it meant that Kathy and I were no longer going to live separate stories. But our stories were going to be joined together. Her story would be my story and my story would be her story. Symbols, but not mere symbols. One of the things that happens frequently as we're working with couples that are having marital problems. We take them back to their wedding. Back to their wedding ceremony. And we often sound like Paul, fairly shouting to the husband and fairly shouting to the wife. Don't you remember what you did? You were married. Don't you remember who you are? You are until death do us part people. You are ring-wearing people. You are joined people. Don't you remember who you are? The rings and the vows were symbols, but they weren't mere symbols. They were never meant to be mere symbols, so easily discarded. And our baptism is that kind of symbol. It's a life-altering symbol. We moved from our old life to a new life in Christ Jesus. Our baptism is an allegiance-altering symbol symbol. We no longer seek to please ourselves, but we seek to please God, and we no longer live lives enslaved to sin, but we live in the freedom of righteousness that was secured for us in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Our baptism was a value-altering symbol. We're no longer governed by our society's values, but we're governed by Jesus Christ's values. And baptism is a story-altering symbol. Because in baptism, we leave our individual stories of strutting and fretting, fretting about, fretting about, on the world stage. And instead, we accept God's story as our story. What a beautiful story it is. The story of a purposeful ...loving creator who brought his image bearers, men and women, into a good creation for them to enjoy. And a God who is now working to bring his story back to its beginning point. It's a wonderful story that reached its climatic point when Jesus went to the cross and decisively defeated sin... And decisively defeated death. So God's image bearers, men and women, you and me, could once more live our lives in the presence of God. Whose story is the true story. And it's an amazing story. It's an amazing story of a God who actually invites us to participate in Christ's climatic story by joining with him in his death his burial, and his resurrection. So as we end, I want to take just a few final minutes to speak to three different groups of people that I know are present here in this place today. First, I want to give a wake-up call to the baptized here today. I simply want to say to the baptized here today, remember What you did. You were baptized. Remember who you are. You are the baptized. You are the people who died to sin. You are the people who were buried with Jesus. You are the people who crucified your old selves. And you are the people who were united with Jesus in his death. You are the people who have made Jesus' story your story. I want to remind you of who you are. You are the baptized. Remember what God did for you. You were born into a new life in Jesus. You were freed from sin. You were united with Jesus in his resurrection. You have been enrolled by God into his story. You are the baptized. Next A word for those of you who don't feel you know God's story. Who don't feel you know God well enough to enlist in God's story and make it your own. I want you to know we're really glad that you are here today. And we want to invite you back next Sunday. So that you can hear more about God's story. Next week we'll begin at the beginning point. We'll begin with God's creation of the world as he always meant it to be. And then over the next several weeks, we'll continue to tell God's story and we'll lead up to the climax of that story. The death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then we'll look at the establishment of Jesus' church and we'll end by looking forward to the new heaven and the new earth where the world will once again be what God always intended for it to be. So I want you to please come back next week and hear more about God's story. And then finally, I want to speak to those here who know God's story and who know God but haven't yet made a decision to enlist in that story by being joined with Jesus Christ in his death, his burial, and his resurrection through baptism. I want you to know we're really glad that you're here this morning. And we want you to know that we understand your hesitation. Because it's a serious decision. It's serious business that we're talking about. It's a decision that shouts out that you are all in with Jesus. And you are fully committed to living his story as your own story. But if you are here and you are ready to make that life altering. That allegiance altering. That completely changes your world decision. If you are fully committed to making Jesus' story your own, won't you let us know? Won't you let us know that you're ready to make Jesus' story your story? And you can do that in a couple of different ways. We're going to stand up and we're going to sing a song together. You can walk to the front, and you can let us know that you are ready to make Jesus' story your story. If you're more comfortable doing that in a more private way, you can make your way to the back while we're singing that song. You can ask for directions to room 104. 104. In that room, you'll find a couple of our elders, a couple of godly men, who would love to help you find a way to enlist in God's story so that you may be enrolled in the only story that's true and the only story that brings meaning and purpose to our lives. Whatever your needs are, won't you let us know while we stand up and while we sing this song together?